Hey everyone, it's Pacific. Uh, not too much to talk about this week. Another cool episode of Serapis. And a heads up, we'll actually be off next week, uh, just taking a little mid-season break. Um, but we will be back on March. Let me check my calendar. Uh, 22nd with episode 7 of Serapis. So stay tuned for that. And of course, just a reminder, Serapis is a little different. Uh, While you can jump in at any episode for the best listening experience, we do strongly suggest you start at episode one and catch up to us here. And I think one last little bit of news, uh, Serapis is set to wrap up on April 26th um, and SCP Archives Season 5, which is our usual anthology content, uh, is set to come out on May 17th. Uh, So we'll be taking a two-week break then as well. Uh, But then we'll be back with a lot of cool content. Um, Yeah, and uh, a lot of other cool announcements and stuff to come very soon. Uh, But not yet. So without further ado, this week's episode. Warning. The Foundation database is classified. Unauthorized access will result in detainment. Within this archive, you'll find the procedures, descriptions, and accounts of the most notorious anomalies we've encountered to date. Secure. Contain. Protect. This is Agent Hector Gallio. The following is classified level 5 under Project Serapis, all five eyes only. Research into anomalous events in the Shibbetsvale area of southern Montana have turned up references to an incident that occurred at the Camp Apisawa summer camp in the summer of 1974. This was the unsolved disappearance of four children while staying at the camp. They were Sally Aspinall, 12, Roberta Little, 11, known as Bobby, Pearl Krause, 10, and Margaret Pendlemore, 10, known as Maggie. The four girls vanished one night, evidently having left their cabin at the campsite of their own accord. They were never found, and no one was ever found responsible for their disappearance. The prevailing law enforcement theory was that they entered the woods for a prank or on a dare and became lost, after which they died of exposure or animal attack. However, the fact that no bodies were ever found despite the extensive search led to persistent theories of foul play or a cover-up on the part of the camp staff. That summer, Camp Episawa was host to about 50 children and seven staff members and counselors. Prior to the disappearance, there were no notable incidents, nor had there been for the past few years of the camp's operation. The four girls were housed in the same cabin and were designated the Blue Herons in the camp system of dividing campers into small groups for activities. The disappearance occurred on the fourth night of camp and afterwards the rest of the children were sent home as the search effort got underway. My research into the incident through the Foundation channels recovered a curious footnote to the disappearances. In 2002, Jennifer Krause, the mother of Pearl Krause, was dying of emphysema and admitted on her deathbed that she had found evidence pertaining to the disappearances while aiding the search effort. She told her niece, whose married name was Gertrude Foss, that she'd found Pearl's backpack in the forest and that inside were journals and unsent correspondence from all four girls. After reading some of the journals, Jennifer decided not to inform the authorities and instead kept this evidence herself. After Jennifer Krause's death, 
Her niece informed the Montana State Police of this evidence, but the police failed to follow up on it. It was from their records that I was able to discover the existence of this evidence. And I directly approached Gertrude Foss, claiming to be from the State Police's case review unit. Shortly after this, I received a set of facsimiles of the evidence Jennifer Krause had found regarding the disappearance of her daughter and four other children. This evidence, along with the results of the police investigation at the time, forms a basis of my research into the incident and any possible anomalous aspects. Gertrude Foss is the only person outside the Foundation believed to have seen this evidence, and her communications are under Foundation surveillance to determine if this information has reached anyone else. Unsent letter written by Sally Aspinall. Dear Mom and Dad, I'm in a cabin with four other girls, Bobby, Pearl, and Maggie. The counselor said I have to be extra nice to Bobby because she's black and I'm the oldest, so I'm the role model. Pearl's kind of a tomboy and Maggie's real quiet. I think they'll do what I say. On the first day, the camp leader sang the Camp Abasawa song, and then we all learned the names of the girls in our cabin. We made headdresses with feathers and did a rain dance. It was kind of dumb, but the little kids enjoyed it, I guess. Then we went for a walk around the camp and the forest. I saw a deer. Pearl says I didn't, but I did. Tomorrow, the counselors have promised we can go swim in the lake. I bet I'm faster than anyone else. We had dinner in the big mess hall. It wasn't very nice. Pearl said, how could they foul up mac and cheese? But one of the counselors heard her and made her recite the Camp Apasawa Good Behavior Pledge. Pearl was kind of hot about the mess hall, but I told her I didn't want to be in the bad cabin, so she'd better buck her ideas up and play ball. I think I got the message across. She argued with me about the deer I'd seen, and then Bobby said that you might think deer only eat plants, but sometimes they eat birds or fish. <laughs> I said she was being silly. Deer are sweet and gentle, and she looked kind of disappointed. Also, the weather's okay, and there are some bugs, but not too many. Love you lots. Sally. Journal entry by Bobby Little. I've never been in nature before. It makes a difference from cats and mice. I caught a frog by the creek near the camp. No one saw me. It was so tiny, but so complicated. The insides were like watch parts. The little lungs and the heart, smaller than the nail on my pinky finger. This one had eggs in it. They looked like a wad of chewed up gum. Luckily, I was able to keep my knife on me, even though we're not allowed. It was sharp enough so the skin didn't tear. It was real pretty. I wish I hadn't had to bury it afterwards. There are wild cats and deer in the woods, even bears. I don't think I can catch a bear, and probably not a deer. But maybe I'll find an injured one or a baby. Lots of birds, too, but I can't catch those. Unless I make a snare. I'm in a cabin with three other girls. Sally, the oldest, is in charge. I'll just stay quiet. They'll never know. An unsent correspondence by Margaret Pendlemore. Dear Dad, Camp was strange today. In the morning, we played lacrosse. The counselors put some of the cabins together in a team. 
as blue herons were with the bighorns and the lynxes. It was very tiring, and we ran around a lot. We lost the game. Of course, the counselor said, it's the taking part that counts, not the winning. But then why do we keep score? Afterwards, we were supposed to go swimming. But one of the girls said Pearl should change on her own because she looks like a boy. Pearl said the girl looked like a horse, which wasn't nice, but was also kind of true. Pearl gets angry real easy. She's not strong or tough, but I think she wants to be. She's so scared of people thinking she's weak. She will do dumb things to try and prove she isn't. The other girl shoved her and Pearl shoved back, but the girl just laughed at her and called her puny. So Pearl picked up a lacrosse stick and swung it around like a baseball bat. The counselor shouted at her, and the camp leader ran out and said all the blue herons have to sit in their cabin while everyone else swims. Pearl was real mad by then. Her face was all red. She was shouting. Sally was angry with her, too, because she had wanted to swim. Pearl ran off past the trees. The counselor said we had to go and get her. So me, Sally, and Bobby went to find her. We heard her crying, and Sally started yelling again. Sally's almost as scared as Pearl is of what people think. When we got to Pearl, we saw she was at a place where the forest changed. All around the camp, it's dark green pine trees. But here, the place Pearl had to run to, it was bright green, like a jungle. There were flowers all over the trees and brightly colored birds in the branches. I'm sure I saw an orange snake in the plants on the ground and a deer that had eyes all bright and glittery like a fly's. Pearl was standing there staring at everything, like we all were. She had been crying, but she had stopped when she saw this place. Bobby stopped staring first. She went to one of the trees and started climbing it. Sally picked some of the flowers. Pearl was just standing there. I had a really bad feeling. It was the same feeling in my stomach as when Mom told me she was getting sick. It was so wrong, this place. The others were too excited to feel it, but I could. Bobby found fruit in the tree and climbed down with her arms full of them. They were like fat white pears. She said they found a whole new species of fruit and they would name it after her. And she said, come on, let's eat them. And I shouted, no. The others looked at me like it was the first thing I'd ever said. I couldn't really put my bad feeling into words, so I said, don't you remember what you were taught about natural places? Don't eat strange fruit or berries. They might be poisonous. Bobby said I should just try one, just a little bit, and I stamped my foot and said no again. I said if we didn't leave this place and go back to the camp, I would tell everyone about it, and then Bobby wouldn't have her stupid fruit named after her. Sally agreed we should go, but Pearl insisted we should return tomorrow when no one would know we were in the forest. Bobby said it was our own special place with its own plants and animals no one had ever seen before. 
and we couldn't just forget about it. I just wanted to get out of there, so I agreed. And we all walked back to the camp. I'm thinking a lot about that place. The other girls are sleeping right now while I'm writing this. But I can't sleep. How did those strange plants all come to grow there? It felt even warmer than the forest around it. Like we'd walked onto a tropical island somehow. And what about the strange animals? The deer with the strange eyes. The bright birds. And I think I saw a bunny in the forest on the first day that had eight legs. Like a furry bug. I thought I'd imagined it. But now, I don't know. The forest and mountain feel different. The lake, too. Like I wasn't really there. But looking at a picture. I can't really write it down so it makes sense. Like you always say, Dad, I think too much. But this time, it's not just thinking. It's feeling, too. So, summer camp is very strange. Not at all what I expected. I hope you were able to visit Mom again. Please write me if she wakes up. Lots of love, Maggie. Journal entry written by Pearl Krauss. Everyone here is so stupid. The other kids are stupid. The counselors are stupid. The camp leader is extra stupid. The other blue herons are stupid too. That girl at lacrosse was being a huge B-word, but I got in trouble for it. All dumb Sally cared about was her not getting to swim at this stupid lake. Not at all about me. I should have just hit that girl upside the head with a lacrosse stick so they would send me home and I wouldn't have to be this stupid place anymore. Then we found that awesome place and stupid Maggie made us go back to the camp. At least I made them promise to come back. Next day was stupid arts and crafts. We made stuff with pipe cleaners and construction paper like a bunch of babies. Maggie said the counselors were trying to keep us from anything too energetic after my display yesterday, so I told her to shut up. I made a sword, but the counselor said that was too aggressive for a girl, so I started to make a gun instead. Then she let me have the sword. We had free time that afternoon, so we all went back to the place in the forest. Even Maggie came. I don't know why, if she's so scared of it. It was still like it was before. It was so bright and colorful, like the pictures in a book. There was a bunch of butterflies that flew around me when I walked in. They were silver and gold, and they flashed in the light. We walked deeper into the forest. It went on for a long time. The branches got thicker and closed over us, so it was like walking through a tunnel. There was more fruit in the trees, hanging in big bunches. They're kind of like eggplants, but white. Bobby picked some, and Maggie argued we shouldn't eat them again, but Sally told her off for trying to tell everyone what to do. So I said, you're all a bunch of babies, and I took one of the fruit from Bobby and I took a big bite. It tasted like fireworks on my tongue. I almost fell down, it was so amazing! I felt dizzy, and had to stare down at my feet, and when I looked up again, I was in front of a huge clearing in the forest. It was like the big church my mom took me and my brothers to in the city. The high ceiling all dark and shadowy where the light didn't reach. In the clearing was a building like those old Roman ones with columns. It was all ruined. There was a statue in the middle of it. 
The statue was of a lady. It was much taller than me, bigger than life size. It was made from stone. She had a bird in each of her hands, and there were flowers growing in her hair. They grew out of her body, too, as if they were sprouting from her skin. The other girls weren't there, but for some reason that didn't worry me. This lady, this statue, she turned to look at me, and I wasn't afraid. Even though it was a statue moving, she said, What is your name? I told her my name was Pearl, and she said, No, it is not. I hate being called Pearl. It's such a dumb old lady name. It means to like modest and pure, which is what people want girls to be. But I don't want to be. When I get old enough, I'm going to change it to Amelia, like Amelia Earhart, or, or Annie, like Annie Oakley. Something tougher and less babyish. And the statue lady, she knew. So I said I hadn't decided what my name was. She said, my child, what is this body you must carry around with you? I told her I hated it. My body was small and puny. Then she walked towards me. The bird in her hand flew off and landed on my shoulder. She put her heavy stone hand on my other shoulder. She leaned in close. I could see more flowers opening up on her body and roots growing under her skin. She said, we change, we grow, and we become what we desire. Just step outside the prison of your world. I got dizzy again, and this time I fell over. Maggie was standing over me saying something. It took me a minute to understand her. She said Bobby had eaten one of the fruit after I did, and she'd run off. I didn't tell them about the temple and the statue lady. Sally was already shouting for Bobby. I got up and followed them. Sally said she had seen Bobby run off into a kind of side tunnel made out of the tree trunks. The trees were covered in these beetles with bright red and blue shells. Light was coming from lumps of fungus. It was hanging from the trees and glowing. We saw a hole in the ground ahead of us. It was like the entrance to a gopher hole, but way, way bigger. You could have driven a car into it. Bobby was sitting on the edge of it, dangling her legs. She said to me, Did you see the lady? I said, Yes. And then Bobby looked at me all weird and said, Did you see what was looking after her? I said I didn't know what she meant. Maggie went up to her a little ways and told her to get back from the hole, but Bobby didn't move. She said there were things on the mountain, and in the mountain and under the earth, that no one had ever seen. Animals and plants she would be the very first person to find out about. Then Sally shouted at Bobby. She said, what does it matter if you have some dumb animal named after you? And why was she being so weird? Bobby jumped up and shouted back, You didn't see her! You don't know what she is! I really thought little Bobby was about to try and fight Sally. But then something came out of the hole. It was a huge, long thing twisted like a rope that wound around Bobby and picked her up off her feet. It was dark gray and all wrinkled and warty like old skin. I could hear it rumbling and slithering beneath us. Bobby yelped, and suddenly she was dragged down the hole and vanished. We all screamed and ran. 
We got cuts and grazes all over, but we never even noticed until we ran out of the place where the strange plants were and into the regular forest. The other girls didn't notice anything was wrong. The counselors were having a powwow, which is where they play songs and a guitar and all the kids have to sit and listen. Some of the others were just running around in the woods. We ran back to our cabin to decide what to do next. Hey everyone, Pacific here with a quick ad break. And a reminder, you can get ad-free and bonus episodes by visiting our Patreon at patreon.com slash scp underscore pod. You guys, you know it's been nicer lately, and in Wisconsin, you never quite know when winter is going to be in, but it's been nice for like four days in a row, and I'm like, if sunnier days are coming, it's time to fuel up, and so I'm going back to my factor meals that no prep, no mess, I want to hit my weight goals before it's time to hit that beach. You've got options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, Keto, Factor has these fresh, never frozen meals, dietitian approved guys. And here's the big thing for me, keeping out of the kitchen as much as possible, two minutes and these meals are ready. So it doesn't matter how busy you are, you've always got time. So treat yourself. They have 35 different meals to pick from, 60 add-ons to choose every week. You're always going to have new stuff to try. Have it whenever you want. It's effortless, guys. So if you'd like to try it yourself, head to factormeals.com slash badmovies50 and use code badmovies50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code BADMOVIES50 at factormeals.com slash BADMOVIES50 to get 50% off of your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. And now, back to the show. A journal entry by Margaret Pendlemore. I went with them so I could help keep them from doing anything dangerous. I knew on their own the rest of the blue herons would get lost in the strange forest. Otherwise, I would never have gone. But I couldn't stop them. Pearl and Bobby both ate the fruit. They both saw something. Then Bobby ran off and got taken underground by that monster. That's all I can call it. A monster beneath the ground. When we got back to the camp, I didn't know what to do. Neither did Pearl. Sally did, though. She said we have to go back and get Bobby. I was about to tell her not to, but then I realized she's right. We didn't know each other before camp. And we wouldn't have been friends if the camp hadn't put us together in the Blue Herons. But that didn't matter. We had to look after each other. We were responsible. One of us was in danger, and it was up to us to save her. Like soldiers, or firemen, or police. We didn't have to be best friends. We just had to be people, looking out for each other. Sally said we had to arm ourselves, so we went to the shed where the counselors kept the sports equipment. We got some lacrosse helmets, and nets, and a hockey stick. I wasn't sure they would help against a monster, but I didn't say anything. I asked Pearl what she saw, but she wouldn't say. I knew it was something about a lady. Pearl seemed shaken up. I hadn't seen her like that before. She didn't even seem to mind that Sally was telling us what to do. I'm writing this in the cabin. Sally is lacing on some shin pads. Pearl is finding rocks outside she can use with a slingshot she snuck into camp. I don't know what we'll find when we go into the forest again, or whether we'll even find Bobby at all. But I got that feeling in my tummy. 
And this time, it's telling me the forest won't want to let us leave it again. A journal entry by Sally Aspinall. It got Bobby, and I'm going to get her back. I'm the leader. It's down to me. I had to be nice to Bobby, and that includes rescuing her when she's in trouble. I don't know what took her. It was long, like a snake. But I got the feeling it was part of something much bigger. It's beneath the ground, and it's real big. I don't think we can beat it, but we just have to get Bobby away from it and run. The weird forest is its lair. It sits underneath it and lures people in like the witch in the gingerbread house. I'm real mad it tricked us, but we're going to put it right. Pearl's doing what I say for once. Maggie's come along too, I guess. She's hardly said anything about what happened. Maybe she's scared, but I'm not scared. Leaders have to be brave. Pearl said something about a lady that she and Bobby saw when they ate the fruit. I bet it's another trick by the monster. Or maybe it's a witch. Either way, I'm not scared. We're heading out as soon as we've got our hockey stuff on and Maggie finishes writing in her journal. We're coming back with Bobby. An Unsent Correspondence by Roberta Little Dear Mom and Dad, I like to know how things work. I want to see what happens when I cut them open. I knew you wouldn't like it, so I never told you. But you won't see me again, so it's okay now. I want to know which muscles make the legs go. How they react to being hurt. How long they can stay alive. I can only do it with cats and dogs. Sometimes bunnies or frogs. Sometimes with bugs, if I sharpen my knife enough. But it's never enough. I met a lady in the woods who will let me know everything. Animals no one has ever seen. All kinds of living things. Lots of them that have never existed before. She can make new life and change what's already there. And there won't be anyone who will stop me or tell me I'm wicked or a bad seed. They won't say I'm going to hell. She showed me a world without people at all. Just green forests and white mountains. They're full of deer and bears, birds, bugs, even snakes and lizards and spiders. All the kinds of animals there are or have ever been and lots more besides. And I can open them all and find out how they work. She says she has a lot of things to show me. I always knew there was more to the world than just the things on the surface. That's what I looked for in the tiny bones and organs. Like it would make a window that only I can see through, across to the other side. I have to stay with her. I can't come back. But I don't mind. There's more in her world than there is for me in this one, anyway. 
goodbye, everyone. Maybe she'll invite you too one day when she wakes up. An unsaid correspondence by Margaret Pendlemore. Dear Dad, there's a lot to explain. I should start with what happened when we went after Bobby. We went back to the grove, but it had changed. The branches of the trees had grown long and thin, like ropes, and they tried to grab and snare us as we went past. We had to hit them with the hockey and lacrosse sticks to get past. The birds flew at us and the bugs crawled over us, but we kept going. We reached the tunnel of trees and got to the hole in the ground. Between the trees, I think I saw a bear with its pale gray fur. It was gangly and wet, and it had too many eyes and legs. I saw the deer with the insect eyes, like Sally had seen when we first got here. We reached the hole in the ground. We hadn't seen any sign of Bobby. Sally went down the hole first. It was steep, and we had to half slide down it. It tore up our clothes, and we were covered in cuts and dirt when we got to the bottom. Pearl had brought a flashlight so we could see. We were in a tunnel, with walls all smooth like something had made them by burrowing, instead of like a natural cave. We went down the tunnel, and it branched, and then again. I told Sally we could easily get lost down there if we didn't think about where we were going. I said we should stop and listen. We could hear it breathing. It was far away, but huge and loud. There was a deep thud, too, like something really heavy being dropped every few seconds. I think it was the thing's heartbeat. We followed the sound, being as quiet as we could. Eventually, we got to where the tunnel was, full of plants like ferns and bunches of the white fruit. It was difficult to push forward through the plants. I think plants need light to live, which made me wonder how they could survive down here in the dark. Then we reached a huge cave, full of plants. The flashlight couldn't reach the ceiling. The thing's breathing was as loud as a wave on the ocean. The air was warm and damp. Then we saw it. I can't say exactly how big it was, because the flashlight only showed me some of it. The thing it looked like most was like a worm, but a gigantic one, so big it could have easily swallowed a school bus. It smelled like wet earth and the forest floor in the fall, when the leaves start to rot. Its mouth opened. It was like a huge circle of muscle. Tentacles came out, the same kind that had grabbed Bobby. Each one was as thick as a tree trunk. There were eight or ten of them. They slithered out, poking around through the plants. I think it knew we were there, and it was trying to find us. The whole worm moved like it was waking up. Sally stood out in front with her lacrosse stick in both hands and shouted, Give her back! I was sure the worm was going to eat her. It could have snatched her up with those tentacles and reeled her back into its mouth. But instead, the mouth opened wide and the tentacles spread open like a flower. And there standing in its mouth 
was Bobby. She said for us not to be scared, that she wanted to be there, and that the lady inside the worm was going to take her in and give her everything Bobby wanted. I didn't know what I should say. Part of me knew I should be terrified and screaming like a girl in a horror movie, but all I could do was stand there and watch. Bobby walked out of the worm and picked one of the white fruit growing from the plants in the cave. She told us that we owed it to the lady to hear her out, and that eating the fruit would let her talk to us. Sally said we should do it. Maybe we could convince this lady to let Bobby go. And we had to take all the chances we could to get Bobby back, because imagine the trouble we would be in if we were supposed to be responsible for her, and we lost her. So Sally took the fruit, and I took one too, and Pearl, who had eaten one before. It tasted so strange. It was kind of fizzy, but not like sherbet. More like I imagine electricity tastes. I almost fainted, and when the dizziness stopped, I was on top of a mountain, way above the clouds. But I wasn't cold, and I could breathe just fine. I could see so far, all the way to the shore of an ocean, and all the way along a line of huge mountains with snow all over them. There were forests, and rivers, and lakes below. The lady was on top of the mountain with me. Her skin was the same pale color as the fruit, with the same green veins. Her hair was leaves, like ferns. She was very beautiful. I asked why she had taken Bobby, and she told me she hadn't taken anyone, and she never did. She was attended by people who chose to be there. She was very powerful, she said, and she could give us all that we wanted, so we would want to stay and serve her. I wasn't so sure about that, but then she said she knew what I wanted. I'm really sorry, Daddy. I know you try really hard and it's not easy without Mom. But you're just not good at being a dad. I know it's not nice to say it, but you know it's true. And Mom isn't going to wake up. I understood enough of what the doctor said. I know you're angry with me for needing you to look after me and that you're angry at Mom for not being there. You try hard to hide it, but you can't. Sooner or later, you're going to try to get rid of me. It might just be sending me to live with Grandma. It might be something worse. The lady said I could have a family. A real one. Not a broken one that isn't really there. I said I wanted that, but on one condition. Everyone who stayed with her would get to write their family about it so they would know what happened. That's what this letter is. The lady said she would make sure our families got them. She promised, and I believe her. Goodbye, Dad. You won't see me again. You'll have to pretend you're sad. But I know you want it this way. 
Lots of love. Maggie. Part of an unsent correspondence written by Sally Aspinall. I used to want to be a princess. Mom and Dad and the teachers at school said I couldn't be because there weren't any princesses in America. The only way to be one is to be the daughter of a king or to marry a prince. And there aren't many of those left and they only marry rich girls in Europe. So I gave up on being a princess, but not on being the next best thing. Every princess has people around her who make sure everything is perfect. Her hair, her dresses, all the meetings and dances she has to go to. It's a full-time job. Her handmaidens are way more important than the actual princess. The lady we met is more than a princess. More than a queen, even. I saw her in a huge palace of trees grown together with towers so high I couldn't see the top. She was on a throne made from animals, all twisted together with jewels for eyes. She can change any living thing into what she wants. She can make us beautiful and graceful, prettier than princesses. We're going to be her handmaidens. She promised I would be in charge. Her head lady-in-waiting. Her right-hand woman. I know you'll miss me, but aren't we all supposed to follow our dreams? Well, this is mine. Love, Sally. Part of an unsent correspondence written by Pearl Krauss. I was scared the first time. It made me angry, being scared. But the second time I saw her, I wasn't scared at all. And she said, You will never be weak again. No one will ever laugh at you. You can be strong and tough and fast. Everything you want to be. Because she can change what people are. Change their bodies. Everything that's alive, she can change. She understands me like you don't. She doesn't say it's just a phase or I'll be normal once I meet a nice boy. With her, I can be what I really want. I'm going to be the strongest girl in the world and I'm never going to die. The case of the Camp Episoa disappearances has been cold for more than 40 years. Even if the evidence of the girls' writings was available to the police at the time of their vanishing, it is unlikely in the extreme it would have been acted on, or seen as anything other than a shared delusion or work of fantastical fiction by the girls. Only an organization such as the Foundation could countenance the girls' last writings as being possibly true. After reading these journal entries and unsent letters, Pearl Krause's mother decided to keep their contents to herself. I cannot conclude whether what she did was wrong or right. But I will say, it is understandable for a person in severe emotional distress when presented with such an impossible story and its implications. The events in Camp Apasawa in 1974 can be interpreted as a confirmed sighting of SCP. It is also reasonable to suggest a link between the four missing girls and the four girls who appeared at Scarslow in the campsite in 1981. However, if they are the same girls, they did not age in the intervening five years. Of particular interest is the entity the girls claimed to have encountered and spoken with, and which was possibly responsible for their disappearance. Whether this is a corporeal entity or purely a creation of a group hallucination is impossible to determine from the evidence the girls left behind. For this reason, I have not given it a provisional SCP designation. 
However, further research into the history of Shibbet's Veil will make a particular point of seeking out more information about the entity. On a personal note, I feel the girl's writings have brought me the closest yet to the source of the anomalous history of Shibbet's Veil. It would not be right for me to simply give up on ever finding the four girls again. Ethically, we should try to find them, and their families should know what happened, even if they can never believe it. But I fear if we ever did find them, they would be something very different from four girls who went to summer camp. Something both recognizable as the same girls, and also completely, awfully different. This concludes my research into the events at Camp Apasawa in 1974. This information is classified level 5, 05 eyes only. Agent Hector Gallio, signing off. This week's episode was possible thanks to our patrons. Joining us this week was Nicole O'K, S.J. Reynes, Carlos F. Estrada, Martin Frovet, The Happy Pity, and Introverted Mermaid. Project Serapis was written by Ben Counter. Gallio was John Grills. Sally was Addison Peacock. Bobby was Antoinette Barry Snowden. Maggie was Rissa Montanez, and Pearl was Alyssa Park. Our line editor was Daisy McNamara. Our sound designer was Dana Creaseman, and all of our music was done by the incredibly talented Tom Rory Parsons. I'm your showrunner, Pacific S. Obadiah, and our producers are Tom Owen and Brad Miska. And this is a bloody disgusting show. For more information, visit scparchives.com.